right. So at the very basic level of plant science, to grow a plant, whether it be a daisy on your windowsill or a tree in your Christmas tree lot or the grass on your lawn, whatnot, you need seven essential things. Do you guys know all seven of those? No. No. Water, light, nutrients. That's three. Oxygen. Soil. Air. Soil. Pretty good start. Those are the seven. So you need air, which is providing carbon dioxide that the plants need for photosynthesis. You also need oxygen. You need space so that they have room to grow without competition. You're going to need temperature. So for Christmas trees, that means you need a cyclic climate like we have so that they have a dormant phase and a growth phase. You also need sunlight for photosynthesis, water. You need nutrients to help them grow. And especially with Christmas trees, you need time. You know, there's a lot of active lots, Jay, that doesn't have those seven things. Yeah. That's why we're starting slow. Time. Time. Yeah. So with enough effort, you can grow a Christmas tree theoretically anywhere. We've grown trees in test tubes and landscapes and lots, sandy soil, clay soil, rocks, just about anywhere you can think of. But the question that I want you to think about throughout this presentation today is should you? Does it make sense to grow a tree? in an environment that isn't going to be conducive to its growth. Given the option, you should be looking at something that's gonna be able to provide those seven essential elements so that you don't have to waste your time and money trying to provide for it. So there's those seven essentials again. So theoretically, we can grow a tree anywhere. The question that we're trying to get to is why would we? So given the option, assuming we're starting a brand new site, we should be looking for ways to hit all those elements. So what can we do to manipulate the environment for each of these individually? And this is a question I'm posing to you guys as growers. You can't do much about the air. The best way to uh, <clears throat> manipulate that, and, and the number one important thing is to choose your site. Mm -hmm. So when you choose your site, you can use nutrition, which are your, your number one requirement, I'm going to say. You, you, if you've chosen a good site, you've already got that. Um, your sunlight is equal to your spacing. Mm -hmm. And so the other essential though that we can manipulate is timing. Not time to grow. So you're talking about opening up a new lot. It's the timing of opening. You're looking at a lot of natural regeneration. You don't want to wait for that stuff to get five feet high. When it's five inches high, you want to be in there pulling and going. We can do a little bit with the temperature depending on the aspect of the land. If you grow it on the north side, there's the surface of the west side, it doesn't make a difference when you, when you get control, potential control. Avoiding frost pockets. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to come up. So basically we can manipulate all of these if we have a really poor site, but it's gonna cost us time and money. The best way to do it is to find a site that is already using these. So out of that comes the wish list. The wish list covers the five major considerations when selecting a site for Christmas trees. Now, this one has been put together, it's a little bit modified from what came out of the grower's manual a few years back. And I'd encourage you to add to it as if you, if you can think of things that should be on there as well, because it would be nice to have a concrete wish list of what we're looking for going forward. So to start, the site should not be in a frost pocket. So sometimes that's hard to detect, but usually low-lying areas with tall or thick stands surrounding them. 
And sometimes you can manage this a little bit by cutting them out to change the airflow. A flat site is more desirable. Of course, you can plant trees on a slope, but it's a whole lot harder to get to them, as I'm sure many of you know. The exposure is also important. So either eastern and northern slopes are best because if you have trees on your south facing slopes, they're more susceptible to late spring frost and trees on your western slopes are more susceptible to wind damage. Then into the soils, you wanna avoid wet soils, even if they're only wet for part of the time. Fur does not like wet feet. So you need to either think about how you could drain it or terrace it. But again, that comes into economics and how much you want to spend to renovate that site to make it ideal. You need a well-aerated soil that is primarily a requirement for good growth, deep moist soils with high organic matter content, but you need to think about what fertilizer requirements you need to make these better. Also, I'm going to add in there, you need to think about what you have for ground cover. So if you have a site that is overgrown in weeds, which most of woodland is going to be covered in weeds, you need to pick something that is going to be manageable and have a plan going forward. So how do you know if your site meets all of these wish list requirements? You look around. You gotta look around. Visual, yeah. yeah. A lot of people though with this, I mean, if you're sitting on a thousand acres of land, you certainly can have a, you can do more uh, fussy about what you're gonna take. Mm -hmm. Most people, they either they happen to have a clear cut, or somebody was, you know, their father did something maybe, or their you know, parents did something, and they stepped into this because of regenerated with fur. A lot of these were, if I would have waited for all of this to be perfect, I still would leave it on Christmas tree. Yeah. Because I mean, the land, the, the trees that we're growing right now on, there's probably, you know, it wouldn't have, it probably wouldn't have 50% of what you're asking for here. Yeah. But it was available, and it was clear cut. And she's going to talk to us about how to interpret a soil test. So this is a soil core. They also have auger ones, which have a kind of a wider bottom. You guys have all seen those before. So if you can use this on your property, that's great. Go to a depth of 15 centimeters. But realistically, especially in Lunenburg County, you aren't going to get to a depth. No. So that's when the soil auger comes in or even a spade. Just make sure all your samples are at the same depth. And what you want to do is walk a W pattern or zigzag across a lot. And of course, you're going to break them into sublots. So if you have higher terrain and lower terrain, you do the lower one. Walk a W pattern across it, count your steps, and every so often stop and take a soil sample, put it in your bucket, and then when you get to the end, shake it up and take a subsample. That's going to be your best way to get a good concrete sample and good representation of the lot. And then, and you feel the W pattern, and I just I'll ask you who. Why W as opposed to an S or an R or why W pattern? Well, the W or a zigzag, they call it, it'll depend on the size of the lot. It's a good average representation. So if you think about how a W is going across, you're getting some on the edges, you're getting some on the back, some in the middle. It's a good way to help you randomize a lot. This method is suggesting that you have to be really young taking one from your lot in the end, but you're taking subsample from that next site. So you would take Say if you had a higher spot and a lower spot, you're breaking it into two sections, so you'd have two samples. Yeah. But really, you'd have like 50 cores. Right, but, but in the end, you're having a sample from the high and a sample yes. from the low. Yeah. So also, if it's going to let me show you this, this was intended for those of us who are joining online. So we have but what these links are, one of them is how to take a soil test. It's a really good PDF document that kind of goes over why we do that W pattern representation. 
it's all there's also one on there on how to interpret basic things but most of that is based on forage or crop production so that's not going to be super specific to christmas trees uh, the submission form is on there as well and you have to make sure it's a soil submission form at the top and then there's also the soil survey maps that were done across the province have you guys seen those before you have okay but you want to get a good idea of what's there you can use the soil maps to look at those all right so what's next? How you set up the lot is going to be based on planning, like we discussed. So you'll need to think about what you're going to have available to you for resources, which includes equipment and people over the next decade while that tree's growing. So your lot size, your lot style, I should say, is going to be determined based on the land that you have available, your equipment that you want to use, and the resources that you have, as well as how much you'll have for health. And you have to think about that for the next eight to 10 years. So however long you're going to be growing that crop of trees, you need to think about who you're gonna to have to take care of them. Trees bound for export versus trees bound for cut and choose operation are going to need different setups. You need to think about that as soon as possible. And then you also need to take time to consider what you need for roadways, where you're going to store your trees once you cut them and where you'll turn trucks or reserve for parking. So those are all kind of layout options that you're going to need to consider very early on. So as far as lot style goes, this is what we'll see primarily across the province. It's a natural regeneration style. So that's balsam fir reared by natural regeneration, as you know, and desirable phenotypes would be left as your seed trees. So there's some advantages and disadvantages to this one, and I'm sure you can add lots more on both sides. Then you also have natural regeneration with interplanting. So when you are trying to up the density of your lot, you're inter interplanting seedlings and still remaining with the seed trees. That has a few more advantages because now you are able to improve genetics within the lot and you can also raise your density. And then we have the plantation style. This is actually a Nova Scotia picture, oddly enough. So seedlings are planted in rows like a crop. It has advantages because you have more control over it, but it also requires more management in some cases. So that's another thing you need to weigh out if you're thinking. So options for creating new lots. First, selectively harvest woodland, leaving balsam fir seedlings to grow and repopulate. Second, selectively harvest leave balsam firs and plant supplementary seedlings, which will speed that process up a little bit. Or finally, clear or obtain cleared land and plant seedlings and rows. And as you mentioned earlier, this is going to depend on what land you have accessible. I, 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 the option three, uh, one of the biggest problems, and I've been uh, on several plantations here that have been in our area, in the town, mm -hmm. and the richest room, and actually PDI, and the richest room in option three should be highlighted, or at least in prevention height. There it is. The ground control in your plantation is your first step to control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I... Good point. Uh, another thing about plantation, I think a lot of times that, that where there are, and there's no real large ones in the Berwick area, I guess probably the biggest problem is that but generally we're, we're attempting to put plantations of fur on land that was marginal planting mm -hmm. and i think that i think we're dealing with issues with soil conditions and drains and all that too that makes makes it the effort the required effort you need more of it than you really yeah. need to because it's marginal federal absolutely yeah. if it was good land it would already be in something else right yeah okay all right, so once you have your lot style in mind, you need to do some preparation for planting. So you're going into a field, you need to either till or spray out a row so that you have the clean space to plant your seedlings into to avoid competition. 
If you're going into the woodland, your site prep is going to be clearing out other tree species, controlling ground cover, and managing your soil conditions to give your seedlings the best chance. Once you're ready to plant, you need to think about what equipment you have and the people you have. Again, I keep stressing that because it's such a long-term planning project. You also need to plan ahead to make sure that you have seedlings available and decide what age you want your seedlings at. So whether you want the small jiffy pots or you want some transplants, and you need to work with your nursery to find out what is available. When you're planting, you need to have a density goal in mind as well. So for most growers that I talk to, they aim to be over 1,200 trees per acre. That's kind of the goal number that they throw around. But you think about it, if you're growing tabletop trees, you can be a lot heavier than that because they're not going to grow high enough to be in competition. All right, so here's some of the equipment options available for planting. So there's a tree planter or dibble bar there, and this is just one variety. There's lots more that are fancier. There's a homemade tree planting implement there. It has a cutter to open the furrow, a kid to drop the seedling in, and wheels to close the furrow. And finally, I like this one. This is what I can only assume to be a grandchild that he's getting ready because by the time that tree is ready to harvest, he's going to be pretty able-bodied and ready to help him. So that's a management practice too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that's work He's having fun. That's addiction. <laughs> <laughs> Might be another consideration you need. All right. So these are your nurseries, Nova Scotia. So seedling stock in Nova Scotia is available from three main nurseries. Some growers also use wildlings, which are just pulling um, seedlings yeah. from the woods. And, but nursery seedlings are usually better quality. All right, so when you're thinking about spacing, you need to think about what your market is going to be. So are you selling little tabletop trees or are you gonna have to sell a really tall tree? That's the tree at the White House. So that's gonna determine your spacing. So here's a chart that helps to put that into perspective. So this is the spacing that you would need. This is, again, designed for the plantation style. So when you're actually controlling your spacing. So this is your rows and your distance between seedlings. That'll give you your density per acre. So you got to be pretty well at six by six or less to get over that 1200 number. All right, and then once your planting is done, you're just into maintenance. The capacity in which you take care of those seedlings over the first couple of years is going to determine how well they do into the future. So it's important that you give them those seven essentials we talked about at the beginning. And this is what that looks like in terms of some management practices. So you need to control your ground cover, competing vegetation, limit browsing if that's applicable in your area, provide adequate nutrient based on what is present in the soil, and we'll talk about that next month and encourage water retention by building your soil organic matter, prevent pests and disease damage by cultural practices. A point here I'd like to make for the, because this is for new growers coming in. Mm. If they're looking at a lot and they're gonna plant seedlings, one of the things I would recommend, and people well, make comments on this as well, but do not plant that lot full in, in, in one year. Break Lock your, planning, break your yeah. planning up. Any new lot, you should be trying to do blocking in it. And, and, and planning a market. Because if you have no intention or no idea where you plan to sell these trees or wait more planning, you bring these trees on within two years that they're ready to go. And you're into a tight, you know, trees maybe aren't in vogue as much as they were or what have you. Uh, it really becomes difficult to move, you know, an extra 10 or 15,000 trees. Now, not so much. Um, yeah, so again for me the timing is pretty good I have a small uh, farm in Digby County uh, about 
10 acres of field planted and yet we have our share of witch's broom for sure. Uh, although it's fairly controlled. Um, the, uh, so I have some natural stand uh, that is funny to also hear, you know, somebody logged that area 25 years ago. We saw all these fir trees popping up. So let's take on that area as Christmas trees, but never an area I would have chosen. It's uh, hilly, holes, rocky, side hills. It's terrible. But we, you know, it, it was there and, and it had been cut five years before I started to thin it. So now I have a bunch more land that I'm thinking of clearing uh, some more acreage and being able to choose, um, you know, my, uh, my area. Um, and uh, so that, you know, that said, we're starting from scratch with needing to do some, uh, some clearing. So I guess a couple a question I had, one area that I'm looking to clear it is uh, fairly mossy not necessarily wet when you're walking through it, but mossy, like, is that, like, once you clear, get your, you know, your area cleared and whatnot, like, is that something that's going to sort of dry up and not be, does that mean it's bad growing area or is just, it's really hasn't had enough sunlight in there and it's got. Chris, is, it side, is it side hill? Is it flat land? Oh, uh, it's very flat. You're likely into quite wet land. Yeah, if there's if there's a, I mean there's a there's a, a brook or a stream. Oh, maybe from that area, a thousand yards away. Um, but it might maybe a little low there. It might be good for rice. Yeah. If you <laughs> cut that, that off, Chris, if there's any wood on it now and you cut it off, what you're going to have is a flood zone in the spring and a yeah. flood zone in the fall because you get the extremes once the vegetation's gone off of it. Yeah, just something you may want to be watch watchful for because that is very prone when you're taking the the timber or wood off that land. You get those extremes in the spring and the fall, and the summer yeah. dries them up. Yeah. Now, in that one area of the 50, 60 acres I've got there, you know, it, it dries up, or it's it's less moss in other areas, but. You know where I'd like to start, which is really close to where the road goes in. That's one area that I noticed. Um, you know, it was was more mossier than than the rest. So, um, yeah, I have I have options. Just where I noticed it was mossy is kind of where I'd like to start. So my other thing, when you clear this land and you're falling trees, we we do it fairly manually with a truck and winch, and and we don't have a harvester or anything. So do you just kind of leave the tops and the branches and kind of just leave it where it lies and, and in three or four years as these fur are coming up through. I mean, it's loaded in fur in there. Like, uh, you know, they've got all kinds of fur that even in this mossy area that are two or three feet tall, they're all over the place. So I know the fur are gonna come. You just leave everything where it lies and, and hope that it rots enough that in three years when you start getting in there and thinning and, and doing whatnot that it rots out. Because that, that area that's mossy, what, what kind of an overstory is there now? And you say there's quite a lot of fur coming up in it. Uh, because, because sometimes when you cut that off and leave those fur, they're got, the exposure is going to burn them up. Yeah. Um, so what's, yeah, what's in there now is a lot of, uh, well, it's a mixture. Uh, my grandfather would have cut that area. We, we had a big sawmill down there so 60 75 years ago he would have cut anything that would have been a decent size out of there so there's pulp and there's you know eight or ten inch logs and there's some hardwood so it's fairly covered in there right now and if those if those ones do burn up then i guess you know i've got uh, 
the opportunity to, but that's the other thing too, when you leave your branches and whatnot, does that help the cover to kind of keep them, keep them a little sheltered for a bit? Chop it and chop it up fine. The finer you chop it up, the closer it will go to the ground and the, the nutrients should be returned back to the soil sooner. Yeah, so no need to try to pile stuff up in places and, and, and you know, do the extra work to try to clean as you go to make piles or anything. Just leave everything where it lies after you limb a tree. You may want to do some of both. I mean, if there's a particularly good bed of balsam fir, you don't want to leave a whole big bundle of brush on top of it. Sure. I would then try and perhaps, you know, it, it depends. Is it, you know, if it's something there you can see a, a future in, I would sort of keep the brush off of that. But right. other places where it's sort of more random, you could just chop, chop your brush up fine, and I think you'd be okay with it. Yeah, so make a few extra cuts as you're as you're living. Yeah, yeah. And stuff up. <clears throat> if you've got some spaces that where the sun's been getting at that fur that might be two or three feet tall, uh, yeah, there's a good chance that'll survive if you don't smash it up bad when you're nervous. Yeah, yeah. And if there's any mature fur there, and I'm saying that looks good. Uh, you can leave one of them every so many feet, and they will pr help shade, produce shade. And uh, you know that it may not seem like a lot, but they help keep moisture going because their root system is still intact. Right. Bit of and, seed too. Yeah, it's just yeah. pick the best and try and spread them out a little bit. Right, some 10, 20 footers or something that are already there. If they're healthy and they look good. Yeah. 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 Okay. And it don't hurt to leave a hardwood tree or two in there. I know Collins used that there, and he said that's helped with regeneration. Right, yeah, a little bit Keep of shade. A little, a little open it, but you want some, a little shade on it too, and then maybe five years down the road when you've got your catch on the bottom, you can mm -hmm. take the hardwoods out. Okay. Is there any, um, any grants or funding or anything for Christmas tree growers that are like doing this and looking to put in roads or bridges or anything? Um. I'll answer that in a second. I just went back to show you Colin's lot that they were talking about with the hardwoods left. Yeah, okay. That's a picture there. Um, yeah. As far as funding, are you a registered farm? Yes. Then the small farm accelerator program is a good option. So I've got a couple of discussion questions here just because I thought these ones would be fun to kind of bring to the table. But we're going to go around. You're welcome to answer these if you want to, or you're welcome to touch on some other comments that you have that came out of today. Well, one of the critical things on this, you know, what, what would you change? That one of the first things you've got to establish is your road system. Mm -hmm. uh, what people tend to do is, is <clears throat> work with the trees they have available in the lot, and first thing you got a tree in your way, and you don't want to cut it because you've got to harvest it the next couple of years. You should have your road system there. If you do that before you decide if you destroy a few little seedlings, you'll probably better off to do it than when they get bigger. You hate to cut, really hate to cut them down, man. But, you, but you've got to have a road system that is successful. You're, you need a main road system that, that, uh, that's going to allow you to be in there even when it's a little wet and fall. Some of the side ones are not quite so important because you don't travel over them as much, but that main system has to, has to be in a condition that you can travel over even in a wet fall. Because it's very difficult to, to maneuver around otherwise. Uh, uh, um, be really selective on the on the areas that you you want to grow your trees in. Uh, when we talk about um, we're, we're going to grow trees on this area that's been clear cut, but in that 
in that 25 acres, there are probably areas that probably even you shouldn't even try to grow a Christmas tree because you're going to spend way more time and money than it's worth. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, early on, steer clear of those. And, and, and try to get it all shared when you're young enough to enjoy it. <laughs> I guess we, get, we have to remember that if we're, if we're planning our, our rotation times, like there, a lot of things can happen in, in 10 years' time that we're, or longer. Yeah, my 80 year old father doesn't, uh, doesn't participate in the planting anymore. <laughs> doesn't find it too encouraging. <laughs> I'll let somebody else come. The question may of what style should we be establishing new lots under? I think you have to look, you have to have a, a huge overview of, first of all, where is this lot? Uh, how close is it to a populated area? Is it off the road? Is it, uh, you know, is it in, in rural Nova Scotia? Because these things all impact. If it's close to a, to a, say, a town or a city, and your land is behind your house, then you probably got a great or somewhere near that you can you probably get a great lot for you cut. And you'll probably get, you know, decent good money and you can handle your trees without the need of exporting them and good returns on that if you can if you can handle that and control it. So uh, it should be site specific. I think it should be. If yeah. you're off if you've got to drive 30 miles off on a, a road, then you're gonna be in the export market and you have to look at this with tractor trailers. And whatever, because nobody's driving that far out there, you will never survive trying to run a Yukon on 75 acres. That's 35 miles, you know, on a dead end road. Not going to be successful. So you have to look at where's this lot, you know, in its location, and what other features might be around me that will impact me. And certainly, a huge, you know, 10,000 people here that all celebrate Christmas is a huge asset to you if you're within five miles of that area, for example. Um, but it has to be controlled because I know some people right now with new cuts that have just gone off the charts. They have got terrible problems. Uh, what are some of the things you wish you could, you could change about your lot? Well, road systems, as Richard said, I wish that I could, my road system was in the middle of my lot and not using the old woods road that they used to harvest it with because I have some places that's within 30 feet of the road, trees are growing, and then there's other places that I got to over a 200 foot drag to get the tree. So the road should have, I should have hit the bullet and put the road right down to the middle and been done with it. So that's something I wish I could change. And uh, some of the new things I'd like to try in another lot, new things here. Well, definitely I would like to see my sea trees uh, geographically entered in on a lot. So every so many acres there'd be, you know, site specifically grafted sea trees in there of the best genetics possible. And once I, you know, planning what would be an option to start a new lot, but they have the ability to have some of the best genetics, uh, you know, uh, seeding that lot in is a huge, huge thing. That's, you know, that you have the best genetics possible and it's, it's able to be done now. You can do that, but uh, for my age, I mean, my age right now, uh, if I was 20, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, not yet. Oh. Within weeks. Within weeks. Right so, so, yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking of the things that Apollo does and has done stupid over the years and inexperienced that kind of stuff. But if you've got a, a slope or a hill, it sure is hard pulling a tree up the hill when it's cut off. And if it's any way possible, 
you know, our, our road down the middle of your lot, but as well on the edge of your lot, because a lot of times trees are way off in the distance. And if you're scratching your head, wondering where the shortest road is to town or to get this tree out, you don't have enough roads and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, definitely think lazy when you're there. Think like, how's the easiest way to do this? And same thing when you're retailing trees. What's, I don't want to be, I would, I'd love to be up there at 85, 95 selling trees, but I don't want to be yanking the tree to a baler. Think lazy and think, get things done that makes work easy for you. Because I'll tell you, at the end of the season, when you're beaten up, and it's like the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs, you got your elbows taped up, your fingers taped up, and this kind of stuff, it's a, it's a hard sled. So try to make your work easier. Yeah. Even if it's in your retail lot, uh, you know, don't be pulling trees through balers. Just say you want to put yank in your back, so you're done. Uh, and like, don't pull trees uphill. Uh, again, just try to, and say, it's it's like, look at your lot and see what you can do to make it easier. And like every lot's going to be different because it's Nova Scotia, it's up and down hills and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Write out a piece of paper. Plan smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Think smart and think, you know, think lazy. <laughs> Work smarter, not harder. Yeah, yeah exactly. There we go. Yeah, so uh, hi, Chris and Tim, Mike Kenny here. Um, I'm going to go right back to what Richard brought up first. It was about the road system. And with working smart, <clears throat> most of us uh, wait to put our road system in until we see what's happening. And, and we wait on money to do that. And that costs us money. So, if you're going to work a piece of land, you've got to be able to get to it. And when you're walking, instead of driving, it costs you money. When uh, a lot of people, myself included, would not build one-sided roads. Well, I can tell you, every tree lot that I've got, that's got a, most of them are against a piece of wood. And no, you can't grow trees next to the wood. And yes, if you build a road next to the wood, you can only use one side of it. But I will guarantee you that it will pay for itself and pay you a dividend because those trees that are trying to grow in the shade, you will spend more time working on them than you will on, <coughs> on those trees that you can drive up to in a, a growing road and a healthy part of your lot. So once you have a good site and a good road system, then you can begin to work as smart as possible. So for me, I, I think that that's a, that's a very important thing. Great after that, you need to get your ground control done. If you get your ground control done, your road system is again paying its dividend because it puts you into the lot, not on the end of it, not on the side of it, but into the lot. Chris, you brought up the, about your, your pops on a new piece of ground. Yeah. You need to jump those tops up in pieces. No, they got to be limbed, and they should be no more than pieces, no more than two feet long, and flat to the ground. Okay. It will take you more time to do it, but it will avoid those young trees growing up through them tops and you trying to push them up. And you you can't work in black. So. <laughs> Anyway, just, just a couple things. What we're trying to do now, I had this discussion with Jim on the way up. I'm trying to get my lot set up so I can avoid power saw work, except for cutting trees. 
Yeah. I don't want to be in there cutting bushes, cutting, doing uh, thinning, doing anything with a power saw except cutting trees. Yeah. So you're saying with your with your road system, um, it can be advantageous to have a road system around the outside of your trees as well, so that it keeps really the, from the trees growing in those areas that are going to be ended up in, ending up with shade from the uh, from the cover from the, the forest. Absolutely. Very marginal uh, production in your shade. So it's 15 or 20 feet that you're guaranteed you're not going to have a tree there. So that's that that much space away that uh, you're going to get light to it. Then arteries. And uh, it's, the other thing, like I made the comment, you you can drive way easier than you can walk. Like when you you drive and get out of that truck and and start working on the side of the road, you're productive. When the man fills the saw, he's not productive because he's got to walk for three minutes or four minutes or five minutes to get his gas and oil. So it's about productivity. Anyway, good luck.